0: Welcome back to Starman's. We're here. What's up? Hey, everybody. This
1: episode needs no introduction. I'm ready to get right back into it. You
0: are. Do we even want to talk about business or not really? We'll just go for it. Just go for it. We'll talk about
1: shit at the end.
0: We'll talk about shit at the end. Okay. We can do that. So...
1: Where did we leave off?
0: We left off, um, basically, Dyatlov, Bruckinov, Fomin, and Sitnikov who's the dosimeter specialist, we were talking in the admin building. He yep. said he had a max reading of 200 Ronkin.
1: Which was the medium one.
0: Which is kind of a medium level dosimeter, kind of medium, still lower level dosimeter. They tried to use a thousand Ronkin one and it burnt out immediately. Did not work. Right. And then in the distance again, I said, we'll bring you back to the last sentence. In the distance, Pripyat Hospital prepares as a wave of ambulances arrive. So getting kind of away from the reactor crew itself, we're going to introduce some more government officials and more people working on the case, like scientists. Yes, the reactor crew, they're nuclear physicists and engineers.
1: Not very smart ones.
0: Mm-hmm. They're kind of young. They are smart. It's just, eh. <laughs> we're going to introduce a couple of key scientists into this. So the first one I really want to get to, the HBO, again, dramatized, but he is still really important in this entire process. Um His name is Valerie Legasov. He's the first deputy director of the Kur- Kur- Kurchatov. sorry, excuse me, Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy. He's an inorganic chemist, but he is not an expert on RBMK reactors as the HBO miniseries states. Now, a partner of his, but also just someone he works with called Boris Sherbina. He's the deputy of the Council of Ministers and head of the Bureau for Fuel and Energy. Called him to this task force to help with the incident here. He re- so Sherbina reported that there's been an incident or an accident at the Chernobyl plant with a control system tank explosion. He states to Legassov, he called him on the phone again to the crew. He's like, there's a 3.6 Roentgen exposure per hour. Legasov immediately is like, uh, there's a problem. He tries to get an immediate evacuation zone. And he's like, and Sherbin is like, you don't make the calls. You don't make the shots. You are here to join the committee. And you're here to answer questions when asked upon. Okay. That's the KGB. That's Russia. Because again, this is the Soviet Union back then. So all 12, I think it's, oh gosh, I'm not, Never mind. I'm not even going to say. All the countries working together that were, well, working together, that were under the Soviet Union. Right. Basically, you don't question the government. Mm-hmm. So he's like, shut the fuck up. You're on my crew and you don't ask questions. And he's like, yeah, OK, let me. And he's like, holy shit, there's a thing. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can slowly persuade my, in, my way in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he's on the committee. All right. The committee for this task force is directed by Secretary Gorbachev to help with this event. And this is going to lead into part two, the team of badasses.
1: All right. We like badasses. We like
0: badasses. So again, I keep referencing the HBO docuseries. So I'm going to start with a couple of discrepancies. In the documentary, an entire crew of 70 plus scientists working on the case. were Well, they were technically working on the case of Chernobyl helping out and assisting the government. Mm -hmm. But they're solely represented by one doctor as Ulana kom She's a completely fictional character, but just to portray... So instead of portraying a whole crew of people working in the documentary, they picked one head scientist. Okay. So if you can wrap that around your head, if you go watch it, just know that it's not just her, even though she is, again, not real. Just know that there's actually a crew of many, many people putting their input into this to help the situation. So I utilize a lot of articles, again, documentaries, but to keep it simple, I'm going to reference... Basically the person who plays Ulama Komyuk as a team of nuclear scientists. So I'm gonna say the team of nuclear scientists did this because I'm not going to name each one who did each specific thing who right, contributed yeah. this particular data. Yeah. So the first people who know where something was wrong they were located 400 kilometers away kilometers away at a lab and they first discovered that the leak that was that, Chern- that Chernobyl was trying to hide essentially. On the outside of their building, an alarm sounded, and the lab's external dosimeter was alerted to 0.8 ronkin. The scientists, they took a sample from the outside, and they found iodine-131. Iodine-131 is found from the decay of uranium-235 in its earliest stages.
1: Oh, great.
0: Iodine-131, it has a half-life of eight days. So when there's a U2, I'm going to say U235, that means uranium-235, do not come at me. So when there's a U235 decay, it spikes in the beginning and then it dissipates very quickly cuz again, a half-life of 8 days, if nobody knows what a half-life is, half-life is, it means essentially you have a level, let's say 50. If your half-life is 8 days within 8 days, your 50 turns to 25. If you go through another eight days, that 25 goes into 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. You go another eight days, that 12 and a half goes into 5.75. Math, yeah. Whatever it is. Essentially, so it's half, 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 but not like half and then gone. It's just slow, 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 slow. Right, yeah. So that's what a half life is. That's a very pretty, well, that's a really quick half life. Eight days, that's a drop. So again, this was very new. Iodine-131, it's very beginning of U-235 decay, so detected it very early. Uranium-235 is the reactor fuel that is used in a nuclear core. The team immediately started calling surrounding nuclear plants because they're like, holy shit, why is iodine-131 in the area or in the air? Why am I detecting 0.8 milli milli ronkin? Ignalina, which is another nuclear power plant, was the next closest to this team that found it, the scientists, it was about 240 kilometers away. Still a significant difference. So they called them and they're like, uh, is there a problem with your plant? They're like, no, but we have a 4-milli-ronken exposure.
1: What? The,
0: what? So they're like, um, okay. So they're all panicked. They're like, why the fuck do we have a 4 milli exposure? Right. So going down the line, if you go to, you know, from this plant to Ignalina, the next closest one was Chernobyl at 400 kilometers away so they tried calling chernobyl and they're like well well actually sorry let me back up the team immediately was like how if it's chernobyl how are we getting 0.8 million ronkin traveling 400 kilometers right in the earliest stages they're like um that this thing m-
1: makes sense <laughs> no it would
0: be way too far this means that there's so much radiation in the air it was to be so concentrated the core would be exposed it would have to be open to the open air right The team tried calling Chernobyl and they got no answer.
1: What? So no one really knows about this? They're hiding it. What the
0: fuck? So they got obviously they got no answer because again, the building's blown open. The team is in chaos. The admin's trying to keep it on the D L and really de escalate the situation. But also like come up with solutions under the table, but
1: Mm. That's like a nuclear bomb going off and you being like, I'm just going to try to de-escalate this situation. Is, it's oh. like there is no de-escalation. There's a fucking bomb that just went
0: off. Wait till I tell you I do a comparison to a nuclear bomb later oh, on God. and it is mind fucking blowing how much radiation it is. The team, obviously all the scientists, they start immediately taking iodine because again, iodine blocks the absorption <laughs> of radiation into the thyroid and the body protects you because you don't, you produce your own in your body so it takes well iodine in your body iodine absorbs radiation essentially oh. so instead of using our own healthy cells you take iodine and the purpose is for that iodine to absorb the radiation not your body that's a really shitty shitty explanation of it but
1: well oh, high level overview <laughs> right high
0: yeah, yeah yeah thousand foot view <laughs> <laughs> so back in pripyat Again, three kilometers away from Chernobyl, there is a hospital there, and it's flooded with crew members and burn victims. They're taking the, they're stripping the clothes off the victims, and they're dumping the clothes in the basement to get disposed of because of high levels of radiation that was exposed into them. Ludmila Ignatenko, she's looking for her husband Vasily mm-hmm. from the fire brigade. She's like, she knew he went to the hospital because she couldn't. He never came home. Right. So this is the morning after. She was advised that Pripyat was overwhelmed, and they actually sent him and the fire crew to get emergency treatment in Moscow in Hospital 6. So, farther (laughs) away. I don't know. I should have looked up how far Pripyat is from Moscow. I really don't think it's too, too far. Mm -hmm. Maybe Tony can look that up. I'm doing it. Pripyat, yes.
1: Ten hours by car. Ten hours
0: by car. So, she drove to Moscow, and that's what... They were all air flight, like helicoptered over the the fire team
1: it would have been quicker to go to lithuania
0: i think they wanted to get them as far away from (laughs) chernobyl as possible i don't know why they picked moscow though another side note i could create an entire episode on the recollection of the doctors on how they treated their victims every single doctor there's a lot of them that literally flew in to help save people And they're just basically surrounded by death. There's diaries. There's threads. There's books that these doctors who helped serve wrote on their experiences at the hospitals. And it's so dark. It's so bad. Wow. But I could talk a whole 40 minutes on just reading what they went through. And I'm not going to do that. So if you Google it, it comes up really like right away. The doctor's events. And it's interesting to read. I did read through some. Damn. So basically, these doctors who did treat them, though, they're given about three hours to gather their shit and get to the hospital. So 2 p.m., April 26th, finally, this governmental committee, the council, is meeting. And Valery Legasov is there as well. This is over eight hours after his initial phone call. And he's obviously he's like, why the fuck are we waiting so long to get this ball going? Like, are you serious? yeah. (laughs) He's given a report of the accident, and he's looking over it, and he found so many issues going on. Sherbina, the one who called him in, he's, an, again, an important person, Um, so remember his name. He starts to brief the council on how the issue's stable. There's no more than a chest x-ray of radiation exposure total. And then they're like, okay, well, we're going to go, you know, do this. We're going to go observe it. We're going to call in some more people, and then they try to... Ob- Adjourn the meeting, and Legasov, he stands up, which is a big fucking no-no. Again, you don't ask, you don't tell, you don't stand up to the government. He's like, sorry, but there are various reports that people were burned by this black, smooth mineral on the ground, graphite. He's like, there is only one place in an RBMK reactor, and he's not a specialist, but he's like, there's only one place it is found, and that's in the core. (laughs) Shcherbina's like, but they reported the core is fine. And Legasov says, sure, but it's not. There's absolutely no fucking way it's fine if there's graphite on the ground. Right. And Sherbina's like, well, there's only a 3.6 ronkin exposure. And Logasov is like, this is not just equivalent to one chest x-ray. This is equivalent to 400 chest x-rays. But... The other problem with that number is, again, they're on the inside of a council. They're not long yet. He's like, this is the minimum reading of a low level or I'm sorry, excuse me, a maximum reading of a low level dosimeter. Right. He's like, you reported this number off of these low level dosimeters. So hello, they're maxed out. And they're like, did nobody connect the dots on this that they just gave you a number to shut you up? Like, hello. Right. So this obviously intrigued Gorbachev. And he's like, all right, explain what the fuck, you know, explain what's going on. So Legassovi goes into saying that RBMK reactors use uranium-235 as fuel. It's a highly reactive fuel, and every gram holds trillions of highly reactive atoms that travel at the speed of light. Chernobyl holds 3 million grams total in all their reactors. Legassovi states that the particles, the radiation particles from a potentially exposed core, will travel in the wind. It will infect the water supply, and it's going to tarnish the surrounding area in the land, in the food sources. Gorbachev orders Sherbina, He's like, you're going to bring him, and you're going to go to Chernobyl, and you're going to have him assess this situation because I don't trust these guys on the inside now.
1: i am be like, I'm not going there. What the
0: fuck? <laughs> it's, and the sad thing is Legasov, he's like, yep, this is a death sentence for me.
1: Yeah, So no doubt.
0: So in the miniseries, they're portrayed flying to Chernobyl, and Sherbina threatens Legasov to explain an RBM K, nuclear reactor and well i will kind of explain how it is i took a really great quote from an article that explains it super well but i'll give you a quick brief one um uranium 235 is an unstable atom that has too many neutrons so a no charge you have electrons neutrons protons protons are positively charged electrons are negatively charged neutrons have no charge so they can go kind of each way
1: mm-hmm.
0: if u235 is put close together They kind of clash together, and then they and you get enough of them condensed. They split, creating an enormous amount of energy called fission. Woo! Woo! A trivia question! (laughs) So this fission, when they give off this energy, it goes through all these condensers, these whatevers, and then it's harnessed as steam, converted into power, sent through electrical lines to supply cities, and go everywhere it's needed. Nuclear power. Nuclear power. Fuel rods surround are surrounded with graphite, or I'm sorry, fuel rods have these little graphite tips, and there's graphite, again, surrounding the core as well, to halt and slow down the flux of these neutrons, which basically the reactivity of them. Hmm. So they're called a neutron flux moderator. Therefore, That's again- the
1: coolest name ever for anything. Right? <laughs> neutron flux moderator.
0: <laughs> Therefore, again, he deduced, he's like, if there's graphite on the ground- the core is exposed because, again, there's only a couple places found. And there's the control rod tips and then around the core itself. So Legasov was flown in. He's like, I'm seeing graphite on the roof. I'm seeing graphite all over. And he's like, the Cherenkov radiation was, I'm sorry, the Cherenkov effect was present. He's like, he could see the bluish greenish aura. Right. Right. Through- still yeah. happening still happening
1: jesus christ still
0: happening in the series, he's like you need to fly over the core and look into it he's like if you fly over that core you're gonna be dead within a week from acute radiation sickness he's like don't you fucking you know and over dramatizing HBO right. saying, you're gonna be begging for a bot to fucking die and but it's kind of uh-huh. yeah don't don't probably fly over an exposed core so they did not, not fly over it
1: probably
0: not so at chernobyl they have now set up kind of I, I don't know the exact distance away but an encampment site for people to gather in and to figure out how the fuck they're going to deal with this. Mm-hmm. So a military site essentially. Brukenov, Fomin, again, the higher-ups of the plant, they monitor the situation and then Sherbin and Lagasov arrive. Lagasov, he's like the core is exp- they have a meeting, they call they allow him to come over. He's like, "Hey, the core is exposed. I saw this. I saw this. The Chernobyl effect. I saw the graphite." He's like um There is a problem here. Legassov's threatened by the head military people. He's like, you're going to spread misinformation and you need to shut the fuck up, essentially. You need to stop spreading whatever. Whatever you're about to say, don't. So they're like, (sighs) well, in order to, you know, he's guessing these these people. Again, you don't mess with the KGB. They're like, all right, what we really need to do is we need to get a true reading on what the fuck is going on in there. Mm -hmm. So they ordered a high-level dosimeter,
1: Finally. Finally! Jesus Christ, that was my one of my questions. Yes, they the actually, I know,
0: right? They need to get a high-level dosimeter to get a true fucking reading <laughs> on say. what is going on. Yeah. So essentially, it's it is this is true, they did actually do this. They strapped it onto a truck, covered the truck in lead plates, put a man, which was a military guy, who was a head guy, he's like, I'm not sending any of my men in there, I'm gonna do it myself. Covered him in a lead suit. I was gonna say. <laughs> Mounted on the front, he... Backed the truck in and he drove right around the core and drove out and got a dosimeter reading. Any guesses on what the fucking value is? What
1: was the last max one? like?
0: 200 was the last maxed. 1,000 burnt out for the dosimeter.
1: I don't know. It's going to be something astronomically high. Want to take a guess? 1,267.
0: 15,000. Bronkin.
1: That's a lot of bananas.
0: (laughs) I hate that fucking banana comparison. (laughs) 15,000. So here, this is going to blow your mind. This is so fucking interesting. The comparison. Every single hour. Hour. Every single hour. The core is giving off twice the radiation given off by the Hiroshima bomb. Every single hour. Twice. So every... Ugh, drop a Hiroshima bomb at half an hour. Drop a Hiroshima bomb. Drop a Hiroshima bomb. Drop a Hiroshima bomb. Boom, boom. Every hour after hour after hour after day after day.
1: Oh my god. That's fucked up.
0: Until you can start smothering the core and, you know, stop the spread of it into the air. That's what's going into the environment. Isn't that fucking... Like... <sighs>
1: yeah that's that's uh, like a
0: high screeching like thanos screech shit what
1: yeah when you put it in perspective like that i mean obviously it's not like the destruction of hiroshima but the just the uh the
0: irradiation irradiation alone is insane wow once they got this reading back in Brukhanov and Fomin were excused and taken into custody for fucking lying about the situation yeah no shit finally so now at least we have a fucking value of what's truly going on and now they're actually accepting yes the core is exposed yes this is blown open yes it's a big fucking deal and we have a huge problem mm-hmm. so and the other problem is no one on the planet earth has ever dealt with a situation like this this is the first yeah ever so how do we how do we do it you know like what is the next step So, well, I guess technically not even the next step, the first step to solving this problem, which is an exposed core, is to stop the radiation from continuing to go into the air. And how they would do this? They would use sand, clay, and boron mixture deposited and dropped aerially by helicopters. I
1: was, you know, I'm a genius. I was gonna suggest, (laughs) listen, I had to stop before you said it. I was like, all they need to do... This, I mean, my, my idea is horrible. That's a way better idea. But I was like, all they need to do is fly over it with a helicopter and dump like hot lead on top of it. I
0: don't but, think lead would work because it'd react with the uranium. You'd probably get some, something would happen.
1: Yeah. Because uranium so much. Boiling lava, uns- hot lead doesn't sound like a good
0: idea. No, boron, sand, <laughs> and clay. Right. And they only said boron and sand in HBO. I was like, mm, no. So um, that was another discrepancy. <laughs> I know. I know. I fact checked a lot.
1: Now do you yes do you know this that if so those objects are used because they're they're like molecular structures so compact that it's harder for the radiation to penetrate through those things? Is that how that works?
0: I think so. It's a smothering effect, is what they want to smother the core. Right. I don't think it's like charcoal where it absorbs. I think it just blocks.
1: Right. But you couldn't down. you couldn't cover it with like
0: you can't drop water over it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you're trying to like put it in the water to stop the radiation. Oh, that you wouldn't... cannot put. Yeah.
0: You can't put uranium again. An uns. You would have a thermal reaction every time you dropped a bucket of water. Just because uh-uh. <laughs> the water would instantly vaporize, and you'd get a huge, massive explosion for every gap. Like gallon you throw a fucking gallon of water yeet pulling spring in there (laughs) it goes literally that's how unstable this atom is but it makes excellent fuel so that's why basically it's a core of uranium moderated by all this equipment just to get the energy coming from it because it's so unstable it's crazy wild So back to the helicopters, Mm -hmm. it's going to require hundreds, if not thousands of drops over the next week, like weeks. And that's drop, fly in, fly out, drop and line after line of helicopters just dropping and dropping because they say don't fly directly over the core because, again, it can affect electronics, obviously. So they have to use the air, the wind to aim it as best you can upwind down into the core and they had to get enough sand, clay and boron just to... Aim it properly. So, yeah. So, they were doing this for a long time. Like, some months. Um, Five months later after the initial... From the initial start of the blow-up. So, this is October 2nd. A helicopter... There was a helicopter crash. In the, jo- in the documentary, almost... It portrayed a helicopter, like... Going over the core. And they're like, don't fly over the core! Don't fly over the core! And it flew over and it, like, blew up and... Fell down into it and was like oh a big pile. Jesus. But what really happened was on October second again, the helicopter was flying into deposit sand, and there's a crane that they was left there, and there's a cable hanging down. One of the blades caught the wow. caught the cable, busted the cable, helicopter went down. Jesus. Nothing to do with the radiation itself. It just did. In the docuseries, there was a crane, there was a cable, but he's like, don't fly too close to the... It made it seem like the radiation was going to blow the... Ah, yeah. Is it a good idea? Probably fucking not. Don't fly over it. But again, it was just a mishap. It was an accident that truly did happen. Mm -hmm. Again, five months later.
1: Good fact check.
0: Good fact check. So... Just about 24 hours after the first, after the incident from April 26th, we're in April 27th, the entire world knows that the reactor <laughs> malfunctioned. The fucking Americans took satellite images because they're like, mm, this is a little sus. And they took satellite images and spread it everywhere.
1: I mean, honestly, yeah. the world should know. They
0: absolutely should know because they were trying to fucking hide it. Yeah. The start of basically the start of the helicopter started the the next day on April twenty seventh, and also when they started to accept that the core was exposed, they finally, finally ordered Pripyat to evacuate three kilometers away. Mm. So they had a whole day of exposure. Families had roughly forty five to fifty minutes to gather their kids and belongings before they're hauled out in buses to get the fuck out. They went door to door. And if you didn't have your shit, sorry, get out. So they sent you out God. in a way.
1: <clears throat> Yikes.
0: The worst part, they left behind food. They left behind their clothes. They left behind their family memories. And they left behind their animals.
1: Oh, no.
0: All their animals were left there. Basically, what these people worked their entire lives for, they are like, up, gone, by. Sorry. You don't have a chance to go get it. It's all radioactive. I can't even imagine. No. No, no, no. We'll go into more of that later. It's kind of after. But right now, the group of scientists... So this is a couple months later. This is after the sand and boron drops. They're working continuously on getting information about Chernobyl and working towards solutions. Um, Though misdocumented in the HBO documentary, it states that the scientists... Well, basically, the scientists that discovered this... Some of them were outside of the Soviet Union. And you don't enter the Soviet Union without permission. So a lot of these scientists, these teams, had to work from afar. Or they had to get special permission to travel in. And a couple, yes, were able to come in. But most of them were actually working from afar to get information in to help assist with the situation. Mm -hmm. So I wanted people to know that these scientists weren't necessarily on site, Gasov was, but the group a lot of them were not allowed to come in because, again, it's the Soviet Union. They're very, mm, right, very strict. Naturally. So the boron drop, boron, say, sand and clay, was only a temporary solution. Now we have another problem. They said that, yes, it's helped smother the core. It stopped getting shit into the air. But there's so much uranium still, it's going to superheat it. And it's going to create this lava. And the problem is the lava is going to sink through the ground. They just
1: insulated it, right?
0: Right. And they created this liquid moving mass of shit. Jesus
1: Christ.
0: And so it's going to sink through the layers of the ground. They did predict this, though. They're like, yes, it's going to overheat, but this gave us some time. And again, it stopped it from going to the air. But remember how the crew opened all the valves for the water and all the cooling tanks were getting filled? Oh, no! So now all the tanks are filled... With water. No!
1: Oh my god. Partially
0: filled. Oh. So, if that 2000 degree lava mixture hits the water, a massive thermal explosion would occur. <sighs> oh and this group of scientists figured this out because they didn't account for in the beginning that the water, because they turned all the valves on, they did it through interviewing the crew members in the hospital. They didn't account for the fact that all the valves were still open and then the tanks were like half, I mean, so much water.
1: So this motherfucker in the beginning who's like, just fucking turn on the water. It's fine. The core is fine. The core is fine.
0: Everything's intact. The tanks are good. He literally has
1: just created a nuclear bomb solution. (laughs) Like,
0: what the fuck? Yeah. So coolant tanks are half full. The floor is just getting flooded. Water is just getting pumped everywhere. And they're just on until it ran out, basically.
1: The floor is literally lava. (laughs) Not yet,
0: but... It's gonna be. So... The solution to this problem, the scientists found, they took, like, the the layout, the architectural layout sure. of the building. Obviously, because they're studying it and they're, like, trying to figure out where it's going. Prediction, science, awesome, cool science shit. There's a sluice gate that needs to be open. And if you open it, it actually will drain all the water from the floor, from the tanks. It'll get it the fuck out and eject it out, essentially. Oh, okay. If not, everything in a 30-kilometer radius would explode. And the remaining three reactor cores that are still just sitting there doing their own thing would open up. So then you'd have eight Hiroshima bombs every half an hour exploding into the air.
1: It just keeps getting worse. <laughs> like, right. holy shit.
0: The cores, if they exploded, <laughs> they would be ejected and dispersed over 200 kilometers. And this would release enough radiation to infect and affect the entire continent making permanent disruptions in food water and living areas and it would infect effect i'm sorry not infect but affect millions to billions of people they only had 48 to 72 hours before this needed to be drained before the lava went down to the water and got to it oh my god
1: Next disaster that happens at work, I'm going to be like, well, at least it's at not least Chernobyl. At least it's not
0: Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. The switch it's like,
1: died, but at least it's not, you know, going to kill a billion people. Isn't
0: that insane? A whole continent affected. I can't Because it know. would just go straight right into Asia, right into China. Like, all nuclear radiation for four exposed cores.
1: I mean, once you stand up a nuclear power plant, there's nothing you can do to stop it, right?
0: You can dismantle it, yes. Carefully. Very carefully. And again, so, we talk about that. Right. What are the effects, you know, in the end, what are the effects of these three cores that are remaining? How do you uh, get so these reactors yeah. done? So we, I do kind of briefly discuss. It's not much to talk about, but, yeah, we do discuss it a little bit. Okay. So that sluice gate. Right. They need three men who know the nuclear power plant Why to go... Women? What? Why not women? I don't think... Well, this is the 1980s over in Soviet <laughs> Union. Women okay. were not allowed to have positions of power. I actually... So I put this in and then I actually stupidly took it out. Ulana K- Komiuk, the one... the sci- Remember, the represented by the group of scientists, etc. Oh, right, right. The right, fictional right. character. Yeah. They said this was... I was like... Are women allowed to be scientists over in the Soviet back then? And actually, they did allow a select few women to do that. But back in the 80s over there, women didn't have a lot of rights. They were basically, you know, child raisers, homebodies, the housekeepers. Right. Just like um, Ludmila Ignatenko. Gotcha. So she had really no job. She was just a homebody. So, and again, pregnant. But...
1: So anyway, three men.
0: So they asked for three men, not fucking women. <laughs> Sexist. Who, I, well, it is just, it's just the facts. Who know okay. the nuclear power plant to go into the radiation-infected waters and open these sluice gates to drain the tanks and the water on the ground. Because they're walking through channels of water to get to this gate to open it. Jesus. Due to such a significant exposure to the radiation, the men were predicted to die within a week After the exposure. So this is this
1: determined before the mission. So they knew they were going to die.
0: It was a death sentence.
1: Fucking legends.
0: Heroes who fucking did this. Yeah. The three men who were part of the plant staff were sent down. They did not volunteer. They were just told to go.
1: I wonder if they were just to pause real quick. I wonder if they were told like, well, you might die. It's up to it you. It could
0: be. They could have fucking lied some more.
1: You know what I mean? Like
0: obviously, again, the docu series but... was over dramatized. Yeah. But is the Soviet Union built off of lies? Absolutely. I mean. What's the cost right now of the lies they're telling these people? What's right. the cost of lies? Good lord. So, uh um, p- oh, give me give me a break on the pronunciations. These are, uh but Olek. Alexei Annenko, was the init- he was present at the initial explosion. Boris Baranov and Valery Bespalov were called in to perform this task. They went down in wetsuits only. No oxygen tanks, no respir- respirators. They were able to talk to each other. They didn't have any headgear on or anything. And they followed a pipeline down to the sluice gate and the valves. In the middle of the task, the power went out and they were guided only by flashlight. When the the men went down, they found only partially full tanks, which is good. Apparently, during the firefight, the firefighters were able to take some of the water and utilize it into sending it back. So, they drained some of it. And that's why they predicted the coolant tanks would be full, Mm -hmm. but they're only partially full. Right. Good problem to have. I guess, yeah. So, did the men die? Yeah. No. Really? To this day... Ananenko and Baranov are alive, and they live in Kiev, right outside of. Holy shit! Baranov he died from a heart attack. In oh wait wait, not Baranov. The other one. I'm sorry. I my notes. Ananenko no Bespalov. Holy shit! Start over. And three, two, one. Bespalov died from a heart attack in 2005. The other two live in Kiev. So how did they fucking, sur- <laughs> boing, how did they survive this going down to these radiation infected waters? My theory is, is that these are such thick concrete tunnels mm-hmm. and such protected hallways that it actually shielded the rate because they didn't have to go under the core. They just had to go to a gate. It was very quick in and out. So I think that when they went in, went down, they were in the concrete, it protected them from a lot of radiation exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that's why. I could be complete. This is all theory, but that's what I think that's going on. Makes sense. And plus
1: radiation isn't necessarily a death sentence, like being exposed to radiation. Right. So.
0: Right. So not necessarily, but I think that's kind of why they ended up living, which is amazing because these people, again, are heroes. They prevented a massive catastrophe.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: So, I'll do one more part. So, part three: big tragedy. So, as or, if
1: it wasn't tragic enough,
0: big tragedy strikes. So, we're gonna go back to the hospital. Ludmilo and Ignatenko. She was able to find her husband in Moscow, and she wrote an entire book of her experience at Chernobyl. Voices. For, it's the book. Sorry, excuse me. The Voices from Chernobyl is the title, or it's also written as Chernobyl Prayer. I don't know why the art, the title changed, but there's the same book, just two titles. Right. Vasily, so the husband, the firefighter, he was in good spirits when she first saw him, and he seemed like he just had really bad sunburns, blisters of the exposed areas, and desquam- desquamation, which is just a fancy term for skin peeling.
1: That's a so, neat word, desquamation.
0: Yes. Or desquamation, but I think it's desk, to put it all together. For the first few days, vastly, he actually appeared like he was on the mend. He was feeling good. He was actually back to himself. He was playing cards, smoking, because I can back then.
1: Um, I feel great. I think I'll have a cigarette. (laughs)
0: Basically. Obviously, this isn't the case. After a few days, vomiting and headaches really racked him. Then he started getting severe ulcers, he was blistering all over his body and his tissues just started sloughing off his body. This is trigger I, I will give a trigger warning for this quote because this is awful to listen to, but this is a direct quote from her book that she wrote on the experience herself. She said that he defecated blood and mucus, over 25 times a day and coughed up fragments of his own internal organs. The last two days in the hospital, pieces of his lungs, of his liver, were coming out of his mouth. He was choking on his own internal organs. She would wrap, so she'd say, I'd wrap my hand in a bandage, put it in his mouth, and take out all that stuff. So we wouldn't choke. Oh my God. Because the nurses were so overwhelmed. How She's- did
1: he not die like instantly from that? It's slow. Jesus.
0: So this type of exposure to radiation does happen. And I will go into actually how radiation sickness affects the body because I feel like you should know in order to relate to this situation. Uh So I'll talk about kind of acute radiation syndrome. And we do talk a little bit about the chronic, the long-term effects, but most people know that. That's cancers. It can be defects, birth defects, stuff like that. But acute radiation syndrome... Is not super well known, and it's oh, it's I. There's not much worse of a death. It kind of reminds me of like pancreatic cancer, which is basically when your body fucking consumes itself from the inside out. It's the worst cancer you could ever get. It's horrible. God. Basically, don't come at me. It's awful.
1: I'm coming at you. Don't come at me.
0: <laughs> so here's some pathology on a very basic level, and there's stages, and I'll, and there's well, there's three stages. And then there's three types. So stage one, it's called the prodromal stage. And also this is where MVD happens, which is nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Obviously NVD occurs, but there can be anorexia as well. You lose your appetite. Not necessarily you're like starving yourself, but you literally just lose your appetite.
1: Right, okay.
0: The time that the patient experiences this is dependent on the time of exposure. It can happen from minutes to days after your initial exposure, stage one. Stage two, there's a latency stage. Patients seem like they're almost on the mend. They feel good. They start to eat a little bit like they're recovering. They can move better. They can kind of function. They get out of bed. They go to the bathroom. Basically, NVD symptoms, so nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, subside. Then stage three. Oh, God. Which is the illness. And there's three types. There's hematopoietic, GI, which is gastrointestinal, and cardiovascular. So it all each of these types depends on how much radiation you're exposed to. So hematopoietic, which is the lowest amount of exposure, which is also known as bone marrow, is when you're exposed to less than 0.7 gray, which is Gy, or 79. I did the conversions for you, so we can keep it kind of stable across the board. We can understand Ronkin wise 79 Ronkin. Okay. Nausea, vomiting, anorexia occur one to two. Um, excuse me, one hour to two days after exposure. They also go through a latent phase for about one to six weeks, and then the illness occurs. Fever, malaise, a drop, which is fatigue, essentially. Malaise, a feeling, well, I'm sorry, it's not really fatigue, but it's just a general feeling of unwell. Right. A drop in blood pressure, I mean, a drop in blood cells is present. A patient is extremely high risk for infection because your bone marrow produces cells. It produces your blood, blood red blood cells basically a big core to your immunity mm. and that's damaged now so you're at a high risk for infection and hemorrhage because you're not making platelets because again your bone marrow is damaged and your spleen can be damaged Christ. which is another it creates blood cells and has a big role in immunity most de- most deaths occur when the, within a couple months but some can recover from a few weeks up to a couple years Another type 2, GI, which is greater than 10 gray or 1,140 ronkin. Severe NVD cramps are to start within a few hours and they last a couple days. The latency period lasts for a week where patients seem normal, even though stem cells and the cells line the GI tract are essentially dying. And you don't know. You don't feel it yet. Jeez. Malaise, anorexia, severe diarrhea, fever, and then dehydration occurs. Most die due to infection because this also can affect your bone marrow and your spleen. Because if you're exposed to, so these levels build on each other. Mm -hmm. So if you're, again, if you're exposed to 79 ronkin or you're exposed to 1,140 ronkin or greater, you're going to have both types, so 1 and 2. Right. So as we go through the stages, you build up. Boom, boom, boom. God. Stack, stack, stack. Most die due to infection. Sorry, that was a little side note. And severe electrolyte imbalances and dehydration can occur. So you either die from infection, you die from basically not being able to keep fluid in your body, mm-hmm. and this is within a couple weeks of exposure. And then the last type, which again clumps all three together because, again, exposed exposure goes up, you're going to get all the other ones with it, which is cardiovascular. You're exposed to greater than 50 gray or greater than 5,701 Ronkin. So even if you weren't standing at the 15,000 Ronkin exposure core, probably standing somewhere close to it is going to be closer or well above 5,000. Oh my God. The patient is nervous. They're extremely confused. They have severe NVD, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. They can lose consciousness and they have severe visible burns and redness to the skin. This these symptoms happens within minutes of exposure and they can last from minutes to hours. They do. They still go through a latency period, which is okay. I want a side note saying that if you start getting better and then you completely tank, that is horrifying that you're like, oh, my God, I'm actually going to survive this to give somebody that fucking hope.
1: I know. I was gonna say that's the most cruel thing ever to have a latency period of like hope.
0: Where you literally start to feel better. You're like I can eat a fucking cracker after not eating for days after like getting exposed to this and then you turn so far south it goes not just 180 it's like (coughs) like just spiraling down an accelerated rate like yeah that itself I can't I can't wrap my brain around going through something like this, where you literally like, yeah, I'm I'm actually doing good. And then you're like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not. Especially the poor men who went through this, these big exposures. Uh So back to to it. Patients, again, they go through a latency period where they seem, they return almost to normal function, kind of like Vasily did. And it lasts for a few hours. Symptoms are then symptoms start to really occur. They're watery diarrhea, you can get convulsions, severe vomiting, and you can actually go into a coma. The skin breaks down and disintegrates off your body. Uh, Internal organs, they disintegrate. And arteries and veins, they lose their integrity, so break and break down like they said it was like kind of like a sieve, which is, hmm. you know, a strainer. Hmm. And they can't hold. So you start hemorrhaging
1: jesus christ
0: the worst fucking part is ivs become ineffective you can't give these people pain meds because there's nowhere for it to go in their arteries you can't give these people water or electrolytes because there's nowhere for it to go it's just going to go in your arteries and out into like your your general cavity you put it in your arm and you put pain meds it's just going to go right into your forearm there's nothing to hold it to bring it to your pain receptors in your body
1: just fucking kill me Literally. Like just shoot me. It's
0: literally. Death occurs within a couple days if infection does not kill you first.
1: Yeah, just end it. I mean, if there's any time. Take to the just... fucking
0: pillow and just smother me my own liver in my mouth. Like, ugh. Yeah.
1: Are you
0: serious? God. Awful. So that is how acute radiation sickness occurs. It's rough. It's bad. It's I would never wish this on anybody. It's awful.
1: Yeah, that sounds mortifying.
0: It is absolutely mortifying. All right, couple more parts, and then we'll actually—I guess—we're going to be into a part three (laughs) because it's got you got that much more. I have eight more pages
1: to go. Oh my god! We're still going through it. All
0: right. So, I'll give you some numbers for the people. One hundred thirty-four patients were treated for acute radiation syndrome after the accident, and twenty-eight total died within the first couple weeks. 13 patients total received bone marrow transplant. And doctors from America, especially UCLA, who specialize in bone marrow transplants, were flown in. And only two who received them survived. Out of how many? 13. 13. Two who received the bone marrow transplants. God. The doctors predicted that based off the biological level of radiation, they were exposed to over 500 rads, which converts to well above... The thousands in Ronkin. When 20 when the 28 victims died, they were buried in mass graves covered by concrete to prevent the spread of radiation into the ground as the bodies decompose. It was it is currently to this day predicted that upwards of 4000 people might die due to the radiation exposed from the Chernobyl accident through various cancers, delayed onsets, but we to this day we still don't have a number because again, the exposure you know, 30-year-old me in 30 years, maybe I have thyroid cancer. and We just don't know yet.
1: Right. So and who's to say that Chernobyl's to blame anyway? Correct. You know, with it's 30 ha- years from now. How And
0: how do you directly, unless you're standing on that fucking bridge, unless you're living in Pripyat at the time, can you, right. you know, relate? So, again, Pripyat. So we're going to go back to away from the hospital for a few minutes. Pripyat's finally evacuated. The fire has been mostly extinguished from the boron, sand, and clay. Then the scientists finally detected, they're like, there's a spike in zirconium 95. And this, when you get this little spike, that means the true meltdown of the core has started. The true meltdown. Right. So we're into it. In order to prevent the radioactive lava, going back to that issue, going into the ground and into the water source for millions... Um, yes, they drain the water. So the explosion threat is gone, but now we have to, so cool. It's not going to hit the water, but it's still going to go down into the earth and it's going to hit a, probably a water main, a water line. And then it's going to infect all that water. And there's a lake right next to Chernobyl tends to be on, sorry, Chernobyl nuclear plants tend to be on streams and rivers and water sources because they use the steam.
1: Oh my God. So the water
0: lines are right there. There's a huge water source for millions of people running right under Chernobyl. So Good place for that. Right. So they need to cool the lava. And to do this, they need to install a heat exchanger using liquid nitrogen. Miners are brought in to dig a tunnel underneath the concrete pad underneath Chernobyl for this liquid nitrogen heat exchanger. 400 miners total were brought in to dig this tunnel. They were given 24 hours to gather their shit and go to Chernobyl. To dig this. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Because they have to, again, they got to cool the fucking lava, so. So this was extremely over-dramatized in the HBO documentary, but (laughs) in the docuseries, (laughs) these men were portrayed as mining naked and saying it was over 130 degrees because it was hot underneath it.
1: Oh, you can like, see the core, like- Well,
0: you can't see, they're underground, but again, the hot coming down, the heat of the summer- that's not fucking true. They didn't. I looked it up. They did not mine naked. They some of them yes. Some of them took their shirts off. Some of them like took put cut their pants or whatever. Sure, yeah. But they no. They did not mine <sighs> naked. The worst part about this is with these miners. The saddest part: the miners weren't even needed. The lava stopped spreading downward after nine feet. Oh, that's it. And they were twelve feet underground with a tunnel with a heat exchanger. Oh. So they they did it was this a prevention of a huge problem potential in the future? Absolutely. So yes, it was truly needed, but in the end it ended up being mm. not a wasted effort, but meh.
1: It just fell short.
0: Right, it yeah. fell short. So as this lava, this hot lava cooled, it is now what is known as the famous elephant foot. And you can look up pictures of this. Everyone's right. probably heard of this, seen this on Facebook, Instagram. It basically looks like this gray tree barky looking thing that's kind of souped down. And it kind of does look like an elephant foot. The appearance is made from various compounds. And it was initially initially, sorry, measured at 10,000 ronkin. This lava-like material from the core meltdown, it's called corium. Ha, really, really fucking, yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's the elephant foot.
1: The guy should not be there. <laughs> no.
0: It's called Corium, but it was later renamed Chernobylite from the unique compositions <sighs> from the uranium, zirconium, and sil- silicite.
1: Well, I mean, thousands of people died in horrific deaths, but we have this new element called Chernobylite. That's pretty Chernobylite.
0: cool. Chernobylite. So, we have another fucking problem. Great. We can't get close to the fucking building because there's radioactive graphite surrounding the roof, surrounding the area. So we can't cover this core and dismantle the other cores without removing that.
1: Oh my god.
0: And that's where I'm going to leave us for this episode.
1: Okay. I'm scared.
0: <laughs> y- yeah, this next part is cool, but it's also extremely sad. So, and we're going to get into probably... The next episode is going to be the roughest, unfortunately, because we're going to talk about how they are able to do the structure, what the surrounding area looks like, you know, inhabitants-wise, and then the end, we'll talk about what happened, and I'll try to keep getting through it, but we will get through it in the next part. I will be done after that. So...
1: Well, like always, guys, if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on Instagram or our email, starmintspodcast at gmail.com.
0: Or on Instagram at Podcast. There's an S in there.
1: Starmints.
0: Star Plural, because
1: we got lots of mints.
0: We got lots of mints. All right. Well, we hope you keep listening and thank you. We'll
1: see you in the next one. We'll see you real soon. Okay,
0: bye.